What's up, everyone? Back for another episode of Locked On Bucks. And Giannis playing in the offseason for the Greek national team. This might not be news to our friends over in Greece, but we are going to discuss that uh, today. Also, some of the numbers around Bobby Portis, Pat Connaughton. Uh, we'll just go over that. I know there's a lot of interest. I'm getting a lot of mailbag questions, as well as the taxpayer mid-level. What can the Bucks actually do financially this offseason? We'll quickly go over that. Uh, and, uh, of course, what would I change with the NBA? This was a mailbag question that I particularly liked because there is a couple of things that I would change. I'm going to get into those right now. How do we make the game more watchable? Uh, those are on the agenda. And also, Peter Bukowski catches up with Robert Ori. Of course, Peter, uh, we know very well from Locked On Packers. So uh, let's get into it. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Fading shot. Up. I'm your host, Kane Pittman. You can see and hear me on this show Monday to Friday and also find my work uh, over at ESPN, as always. We thank you for watching me or listening to me uh, as you guys do every day, making it your first listen or first watch. We really appreciate it, particularly through the off-season. And in some ways, this is where you guys are more involved than ever before with episodes like this, with the mailbag scenario where we can ask uh, you guys questions and you can provide the content so we... Uh, absolutely really appreciate it. And today's episode is brought to you by Rock Auto. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com and tell them Locked On sent you. Uh, we're into June, uh, which uh, on one hand means NBA Finals month, but perhaps more relevant for the Bucks right now. It means NBA Draft Month uh, and then quickly followed up by NBA Summer League. So actually... Bucks basketball, not too far away, which is kind of weird to think about, but uh, we're going to continue to build up to that going forward. As you can see, I've got a beanie on today. Uh, it is uh, winter officially in Melbourne. Uh, pretty chilly as I look outside. Not the best weather. And I've been through multiple Milwaukee winters, by the way. So every time I say it's cold in Melbourne, there is inevitably some local Wisconsinites that want to pipe up and tell me that it's not cold just by simply looking at the weather. I can tell you that Melbourne has a weird cold about it. It is a weird cold, wind tunnels left, right, and center. And I've lived through three Wisconsin winters, by the way, so I know what it's like over there. That's a different level, no doubt about it. But it's still cold here in Melbourne. So, you know, just trying to get through. Just trying to get through. There's no doubt about that. Uh, Yesterday on the podcast, we had Justin Garcia. If you missed it, go back and listen to it. I thought it was a pretty fun episode. We spoke about John Horst and some of the moves that he has made and he's five-year tenure now, which is kind of hard to believe. Five years with the Bucks, John Horst. And, uh, you know, I think arguably, to maybe take away the Giannis offseason where they got the extension there, the Drew Holiday trade, the uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich non-trade, which, by the way, we didn't mention yesterday. Perhaps people still not too happy with how that played out. Uh, but this one is going to be really interesting. And there is a lot of fascination, largely because I think there's I don't know whether it's confusion or just curiosity about what the Bucks can actually do financially. And and really, the answer is that they can't do a whole lot. Obviously, the guys they have contracted, Giannis Drew, Chris, Brooke Lopez as well, 
And, uh, you know, Thanasis, I think we expect, is going to come back. George Hill contracted, so we think he'll be there. And Grayson Allen. Uh, so there you have uh, six guys, six or seven guys there. And then the two guys that the big question marks around is Bobby Portis and Pat Connaughton. And it's interesting when you think about the contributions that Bobby Portis has had uh, for this team. And I spoke about the deal that the Bucks gave Tony Snell going back a few years, the four years, $46 million. And, you know, history will tell you that was not a good contract. Uh, and, yeah, I think it's interesting if you look back at the history of the Bucks. And part of it is because Milwaukee can't really do it anymore. Uh, with the way that their uh, salary structure is set up with three guys, you know, on essentially max deals, 30 plus million dollars. It does leave you uh, not a lot of room to play around and essentially not a lot of room to have those mid-level contracts that we talk about so often as being sometimes valuable in trades. If they are players that have some value, which I do think a guy like Grayson Allen is on his $10 million salary. But there hasn't been a lot of overpaying role players, and that used to be just what the Bucks did all the time. We spoke about John Henson. We spoke about Matthew Delavadova. We spoke about Tony Snell. But Bobby Portis is in line, or the max the Bucks can pay Bobby Portis is four years around $49 million. Now, we've spoke about him taking significant haircuts on what he could potentially have earned. Uh, last offseason where he came back, it was on that sort of $5 million range around there. I'm sure he could have got more on the open market. I'm sure he wants to get paid. We've often speculated, well, was there some sort of deal where the Bucks turned around and said, all right, Bobby, take this. Uh, next season, you will get your pay rise. So that four years, $49 million is the most the Bucks can pay Bobby Porter. So, you know, you work that out a bit over, you know, around, let's say around 12 mil per season. So let's think about that league-wide and say, okay, well, what is the max or what do we think would be the max that a team would offer Bobby Portis? Now, I don't think that a team, you know, to me, I don't think there would be a team out there that would pay uh, Bobby more than $15 million. So, So let's just say, okay, that the max offer that he might get from another team that has some cap space would be a four-year $60 million deal. So then... This is why I think as long as the Bucks are willing to pay Bobby Portis, which I assume they're going to be, despite the luxury tax, because the reality is if they don't pay Bobby Portis, they're left with the taxpayer mid-level around that 6.3 range. And I just don't think for $6 million, you're going to get a player that's going to be able to impact games the way Bobby Portis has the familiarity with Bobby Portis. So I'm going in with the assumption that the Bucks would be willing to pay Bobby that. And then I'm thinking if there is a team that offers him that four-year $15 million deal, whatever it is, around $15 million per year, let's say, $15, $16 million. For Bobby Portis, the question might be, am I happy where I am? We think he is. Uh, is it worth going to a team? And to be honest, most of the teams that have uh, cap room are not of the contending variety, I would say. So if they're not on the contending team to Bobby Porter, someone who you know, may think that he only has a couple more paydays left, and we have to consider that, and he's taken significant pay cuts. You know, does he want to cash in and just get the absolute maximum salary? So I think that's the question with Bobby Portis. And then the other guy, Pat Connard, and obviously, uh, yeah, I mean, a- again, you talk about the last contract he signed and the uproar around what he was paid. Now, we should say that I think a lot of the frustration was with the way that deal played out, whether it was a, a two-year deal, uh, there was some salary cap rules that meant that they needed to offer him the third year. 
they offered him the third year. The money was higher per year than what it was on the two-year deal. So I think that's what maybe caused the majority of the frustration. And I, I certainly understand that. But it's funny to think back with Pat Connaughton and say, geez, he really actually uh, outplayed that deal that he had uh, that season and has become to me a guy, again, if you just purely have to choose between Bobby Portis and Pat, which they don't, they can keep both. But I think Pat, just with the versatility of of where he can play position-wise on the floor, what we've seen, a guy that is going to play in every single playoff series, I think Pat Connaughton is certainly the more important of the two. I think they're both important, but I think you know Pat Connaughton just ahead there. Uh, it's crazy to think about the value of him and where that's come. Uh, either way, they've had both guys for cheap for a long time. And then the other uh, note here is just with that taxpayer mid-level around $6.3 million. So that luxury tax bill would be around the 30 to $32 million range uh, from 6.3 you know, salary to a player in luxury tax uh, penalties. You're looking up at around 30 to $32 million. So it is significant. I think Frank, and Frank is the cap expert, obviously, and he's mentioned that, you know, he probably thinks, and I, you know, most of the times I agree with Frank when it comes to uh, salary cap stuff, I should say, but just in general, if you think your way through it, are the, backs, uh, are the Bucks going to go absolutely all in on this season and say, we're keeping Bobby if he will return, we're keeping Pat if he will return, and we're going all out with the taxpayer mid-level, whether you use that one player, split it up, who knows? Uh, it's going to be interesting, but as we've discussed uh, multiple times, uh, it is going to be an expensive off-season for Milwaukee. There's no doubt about that. But I'll tell you what else is expensive. Sometimes fixing your car is expensive, and if you want to uh, minimize uh, the damage, uh, then go to rockauto.com. This episode is brought to you by Rock Auto, as I mentioned right off the top. And uh, you can save time and money when using Rock Auto. There's no doubt about that. Why would you choose to spend 30%, 50%, even 100% more for the same parts from a chain store or car dealership, uh, we've got uh, an example here: a Honda Odyssey fuel pump, three hundred fifty-three bucks from a chain store, two hundred sixteen bucks from Rock Auto. Rock Auto is a family business serving do-it-yourselfers and has done so for over twenty years. Rock Auto prices are reliably low for every customer. They have everything you can need from brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpets. And uh, you can go and explore their easy-to-use website to find the solution to your auto parts needs. And, uh, yeah, just go to the website, rockauto.com, and they will have you covered uh, absolutely. Just more variety, I would say. More variety than going into the store, and it's easy to do it online anyway. You can search everything you need. You'll be able to get it delivered to your door, which is what everyone wants in 2022 anyway. Uh, so you can do that at rockauto.com. Just write locked on in the how did you hear about us box so they know we sent you amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. So I think, and our Greek friends will certainly be able to help us out here. There's no doubt about that. But I think it was generally assumed, certainly among Greek basketball fans, from what I've read on Twitter, what I've seen, I was assumed that Giannis was going to play for the national team this offseason in Eurobasket. Now, we remember going back a few seasons ago, and this Bucs team has just had so many players that have uh, represented uh, their national teams, uh, whether it was Ersan, Brooke Lopez, Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday, Giannis back at the last FIBA World Cup. And I think most people, if you you understand the way Giannis is wired, he he didn't have the best FIBA World Cup going back to 2019. 
And I think most people assume that he would want to uh, fix that or come back, bounce back, and hopefully have some success with the Greek national team. Uh, and before I say this, I, I will say, as an Australian, uh, I always want the NBA players to be playing for our national team every single time because you want the national team to do well. I think it's definitely different for uh, American basketball fans because to you, you should just always win and you expect to win every time. But for nations, certainly like Australia, I assume, I assume for Greece, uh, the opportunity to have these NBA players, which there is only so few uh, in that can play for your country, to play in any tournament, no matter how big, no matter how small, it just means a lot. And particularly when you've got the guy that is, you know, in my opinion, the best basketball player in the world, if he can play for your country, I understand why Greek fans want him to play. I also understand why if you're a Bucks fan that doesn't have any allegiance to Greece, you may be feeling kind of anxious about the fact that he's going to be playing this offseason. I think in a perfect world, uh, these guys have the longest offseason they can. Uh, they do their individual workouts. They do training camp. They get into the season and there isn't any a real competition that they have to go through. But it uh, looks like Giannis is going to play. I don't think it's a surprise to anyone. The one thing I would say with Giannis, anyone that's seen him work out, the level that he works out, uh, there's pretty much no rest anyway. So does it really matter? I don't know. I guess watching it live in game form uh, can be a little more anxiety-inducing if you're someone that watches basketball with that way, particularly with someone like Giannis, who we all love. But I'm certainly pumped for our, our Greek friends that he will play for the national team. I'll 100% be watching every single game. I can guarantee you that. But it is noteworthy. Uh, you know, when you think about last off season with Drew and Brooke and, oh, sorry, Drew and, and Chris that went and played for the national team the season before that, uh, Brooke and, and Chris and Ersan, as I mentioned, and Giannis. So this is one of those things, whether it's a World Cup turnaround, which the World Cup is next year for the men, 2023, the next off season, it's the Olympics. So these tournaments just continue to roll over. Uh, I think, you know, we've spoken about it, but if there's any benefit uh, to the Bucks being eliminated early. Perhaps it is the fact that they got more rest into their bodies, which they clearly needed uh, by the end of the season. So uh, we'll see what happens with Giannis here over the next couple of months. But I thought it was worth mentioning on this show. Um, there's no doubt about that. Uh, I did get a question on YouTube that I wanted to get to here. Now, the the YouTube username, actually, I don't know, I don't know how to pronounce it, but hopefully this person is watching this show and understands that I'm talking about their question. But they, the... They wanted to know if there was anything that I would change about the NBA. So uh, the, there's, a, there's a few things. The most obvious one is obviously the take foul. This is nothing crazy. I think, yeah, I think everyone wants this out of the game. You know, purely as someone who covers the Bucs, a few listeners that are watching this are, that are, that are Bucs fans, uh, the take foul has become increasingly frustrating. And quite honestly, it just makes the viewer experience poor when you're watching this team play basketball because you've got the most entertaining player in transition in the league. There is nothing more exciting about watching the Bucs and seeing Giannis throw down alley-oops, throw down uh, transition dunks on his own, Euro step into the basket, destroying someone, even if it's one on zero and he's got the open floor and seeing what he's going to do. And it just became so frequent that teams just would not let this happen. So that's the easy one. I'm in Australia. I cover the, the NBL in Australia that plays under FIBA rules. And it's pretty... It's pretty clear cut, and and I just don't think that this is a, a hard one to fix. I assume they're going to do something about it in the offseason because it has been so much of a talking point. Uh, but in the NBL, or certainly under FIBA rules, uh, it's an unsportsmanlike foul. You get two free throws and the ball. And I think 
you know, that would be the most impactful way to stop people from these, stopping these transition plays and just giving these intentional fouls and taking away uh, what is, you know, in, in most occasions, uh, the most entertaining part of an NBA game, which is fast break basketball, uh, free flowing basketball, lobs, all those types of things I already mentioned. So, you know, it's it's really, really easy. And it, and it doesn't always have to be unsportsmanlike. If someone is genuinely in front of the player and going for a steal, that's fine. But any argument that it's difficult to tell what is a take foul and what is a genuine play on the ball is just absurd. And I've seen it night in, night out watching the NBL. If someone's going for the ball and gets their hand on the ball, fine. You know, there will be some occasions where the foul makes sense. But a lot of the times it's very easy and very clear to see uh, that this is purely an intentional foul. So that's one. And the other one, and this is, again, this is not something new, but the charges, uh, this is always a topic of conversation. I think the the two fouls, the two charges that I think, first of all, and look, it's, I will say, and we've seen it, you know, with players like Marcus Smart, Kyle Lowry, that will slide under players that are going airborne. Clearly, that's really, really dangerous. I think that would be one... Because it happens so quickly, uh, that is a little more challenging to change and a little more challenging to adjudicate. And I know we watch it and we say, okay, it's simple. You're just simply not allowed to do that. But I I think that one's a little more complicated, how you fully eradicate that from the game and still have guys defend. Uh, Because a lot of times, if you do have a player like Giannis, and I guess Bucks fans wouldn't complain about this, but... As soon as he gets downhill, he would be virtually un- impossible to stop if they got rid of those charges altogether. It does happen really quickly. But two versions of the charge or the block charge, I guess, uh, that I think are really easy to get rid of. First of all, if Giannis is driving, and I'm just using Giannis as the example, if Giannis is driving into the lane, uh, he passes the ball, and then you have someone just standing there like a doofus, and he runs into him, then that's not a charge. If he's already got rid of the ball and he's passed the ball, it's not a charge. It's a dumb call every single time. Those guys are just trying to grift calls. They flop. Get rid of it. That's easy. If you're if you're passing the ball and someone's just standing there, not a charge. Uh, the second one is when guys don't even have the ball and you've just got a big guy just running down the court, running down the lane, and then someone just stands in front of him when he's not looking. That's also a dumb call. So get rid of that. Uh, the third one that I would like to quickly mention here is uh, the moving screens and uh, I mean, to me, and people will disagree with this one and I've got no problem, but everyone's moving on screens, literally everyone. If you watch any slow-mo highlight of some crossover or some pick and roll action, every single time the big man is moving, every time. The game is just played so fast now. The action is so quick that the big man is, is he's not actually going to be able to A, get set and then not move. It just never happens which means that the only way that players are rewarded on these moving screens is if they just dive to the floor once there's a little bit of contact. So I don't know, but there's something around the moving screens that I think needs to be done, but just stop rewarding the flopping. That's all I would say. It's very obvious when someone's flopping, bit of common sense, stop rewarding it, uh, and uh, and hopefully players stop doing it when they realize they just look silly when they're on the floor. So there's a couple of things there. Let me know what you would change in the game. And as I mentioned right off the top, a uh, special segment here uh, from the Locked On sports podcast locked on sports today podcast with our great friend peter bukowski so i'm going to wrap it up from me but uh stay tuned after the break here and we will have a segment with peter bukowski from locked on packers and locked on sports today and robert ory 
the uh, multiple-time NBA champion. And until tomorrow, uh, I will speak to you guys then. All right, let's talk about our friends at Bet Online. Let's continue to be the number one source for all your sports betting needs and sports info. Find all the latest odds, news, and sports developments, including this year's basketball playoffs, Major League Baseball scores, fights, and even next season's NFL futures, if you're interested in the, the Packers, for instance. I see Aaron Rodgers is playing golf today, actually, by the way. But Bet Online is your continued source for all the sports wagering information you need from live betting, playoffs, esports, and more. Uh, I wonder if the uh, NBA 2K League, this Bucks gaming team, you might be able to check out some odds there uh, with those guys as well. As far as NBA futures, the Bucks are around uh, fourth favorite, I believe, at uh, betonline.net. But you can check out the championship odds for the 22-23 season there. And, of course, the NBA Finals, the Warriors are going to head in uh, favorites if you're interested in that one. So head to the website or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. That's BetOnline, where the game starts. The Golden State Warriors are minus 150, the favorites in the NBA Finals against the Boston Celtics. Joining me now, Robert Ory, seven-time NBA champion, is here courtesy of Bet Online. Check out Bet Online for all the up-to-date lines on the NBA Finals, Finals MVP, Finals props, and each and every game line. This is great to have you here. Why do you think, because the line has moved a little bit in, in the Celtics' favor, why do you think there are people that like the Celtics matchup against the Warriors. Because the smart people know defense wins championships. Mm. And if you look at the Celtics team, they got two players on that team that made the all-defensive team. You know, smart, of course, defensive player of the year. But Robert Williams is one of those guys that is an eraser. He can block shots. He can, you know, you know, he can erase a lot of mistakes that you make on the perimeter. And you think about it, you got Brown, Tatum, and Smart who can get up on people defensively and funnel them to that guy. Next thing you know, it's getting blocked. And if you look at the way, you know, Harford has been playing, he's turned back the hands of time. He's blocking <laughs> shots again. So if you, overall, I think that the, the, the Celtics is a better defensive team than the Warriors because even though you have Draymond Green, Green Clay Thompson is not the Clay Thompson of old who can do the things he used to be able to do. And, and, and so I just think that's, that's a big key for them, for the Celtics, that is. How do you see defensive player of the year, Marcus Smart, matching up with, with Steph Curry? Is that going to be something where you see that Marcus is going to pick him up 94 feet? Like, how do you think Smart is going to approach that assignment if he does get that assignment, which we assume he's going to? But you know what? I don't think it's going to be a one-man job. If you look at the Celtics, they one, two, three are all athletic guys, and you go to the two, Jalen, and go to the Tatum, they get taller. You know, it's like, yeah. like the bars on the cell phone. And I think even, even though they like to do a lot of switching, I think they're, they're, they're perfect for this matchup. It's a perfect matchup for the, for the Celtics and when they got the guards. And because, you know, Clay is going to be constant moving. And so, so, you know, not the same as a Jimmy Butler or Tyler Hero, but I think this, what they just did against the Heat, is like a, a, a prelude to a preclude to what they're going to do. And so I think they're going to be fine defensively switching and getting ready for Steph. It sounds like you like the Celtics in this one. You know, all my Laker fans are going to be mad at me because they said you cannot <laughs> wear anything green. You can never root for the Celtics. I'm not rooting for the Celtics. You know, I, I would like to see my former teammate, Emil Duco, win his first championship. You know, so I would like for that to happen. But, you know, I just think 
being the basketball mindset, I just think that there, there's a good chance the Celtics to win this thing. All right. So we have some odds here. Celtics in six is plus 375. Celtics in seven is plus 650. If people are going to bet on it, what is what is your prediction if you like Boston? Six, seven? Hey, you know what? If you, you're trying to make some money, right? <laughs> that's why you that's why you gamble. And so I would go with the Celtics in seven because I think the Celtics have been a battle-tested team on the road. They've won a lot of games on the road. They just won the Eastern Conference on the road. And so I think they're ready. I'm not saying everybody will say, well, the, you know, the Heat is a different monster than, you know, the Warriors and blah, blah, blah. But I still think it all boils down to having confidence and playing well on the road and, and believing that you can win on the road. There has also been this discussion now, especially among Celtics fans, about what this Celtics team has had to face, what, particularly who had Jason Tatum has had to face. Kevin Durant in the first round, Giannis Antetokounmpo in the second round, Jimmy Butler on a heater, no pun intended, for Miami, and now... Steph Curry, you're talking about at least three Pantheon guys, guys who are all-time great players. Who do you think has the most on the line legacy-wise in this series? For whom would that one title, you won seven, who would that one title mean the most for? You know, I'm, I'm going to go off script a little bit, and, and I, I'm going to stop people from thinking this is going to be the greatest run ever by the Celtics. That's not true because you got Hornet set, Carmelo. You got Kevin Johnson, Charles Barkley. You got Dennis Rodman, uh, MVP, David Robinson. You got Shaquille and Penny. Now, that is the greatest run in back in 95. So when people say this might be the greatest run, stop it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> because all these teams was 50, you know, 55, 50-plus 50 win teams. And so I just think if you, if you look at this game and you have to pick an MVP, you know, of course, it's, it's going to be it Tatum. But this run that the Celtics are on is incredible. You know, don't get me wrong because they've been able to win on the road, which is key because you have to win on the road in order to win championship. That's if, unless you have home court advantage, you protect your home court. But I just think overall, when you look at the makeup of these two teams, they're similar. You know, Golden State Warriors, they were the Celtics six, seven years ago when they first entered the playoffs. And nobody thought they could win a championship. Next thing you know, they win a championship. In the following season, they win all these games and don't win a championship. And then they get KD and they win two more. But I think if you look at the Celtics, there are so there are so many similarities with these teams that people are always going to say, oh, let's go with the veteran leadership. Let's go with the fan favorite and Steph. You know, this thing, this thing about because everybody wants Steph to win because we know he got robbed one time with the MVP in the finals. And then he's take, he took a step back and let KD come in to his team, which is Steph team, and take two MVPs. And so I, 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 I do think Steph has a lot to prove, and his legacy is on the line when it comes to this because, you know, all the chatter now is about him not having an MVP in the finals, which we all know he was robbed of one, so let's, let's be real about that. Mm-hmm. I, I'm looking at these MVP odds as you're talking about the MVP and, and we expect Curry and Tatum right at the top in terms of the odds. You're not getting really good value there. I'm looking at Jalen Brown, 10 to one. Yeah. I'm looking at Draymond 22 to one. Like if he really turned it up defensively, people forget in that game seven against the Cavs, he had a triple double in that game. He was the best warrior on the floor in that game. I'm looking at Marcus smart at 40 to one. It seems like you you can get some good value and we've seen, including in this Warriors run, that it's not always the stars who win these finals MVPs. It's true. You know, for me, if if I wanted to take the odds, I'm, I'm going to eliminate the top three automatically. And I don't I don't think Clay is, you know, you know, 
Clay is a game five, game six type of player. But me, I would go with Andrew Wiggins. If I had to mm. pick someone with the odds, I would go with Andrew Wiggins, who is 20 to one. And think about it. He has started to come into his own. Yeah. He, after that dunk on, <laughs> on Luca, all of a sudden this dude is smiling big. He's, He's enthusiastic. He's playing hard, and he's an all-star. You know, I think some people forget he was an all-star. I think this is a good way, in the biggest stage, to show everybody that the all-star uh, committee didn't make a mistake. So, if I had to take all the, because I don't think Draymond Green, he don't shoot, he doesn't shoot enough, and he's gonna have to guard too many people. So he's gonna be all over the board. That so, if you look down that list of people and you want to say oh, odds maker, for me, I would take Andrew Wiggins twenty to one. That is, I, I mean, that, that's bold. I love it. Uh, I think you're right that that he he seems to be a different player. Just in the Warriors, just in Golden State, he seems to have been unlocked a little bit, whether that's Steve Kerr, whether that's just him feeling more comfortable. We're talking about legacy. And you have been on some teams that have gone on these multi-year runs that have been what we, we might consider dynastic, right? There have been some discussions here. If the Warriors win one, that because it's the Clay, Steph, Draymond core with Steve Kerr, that this has to be considered part of the Warriors run and that we have to call them a dynastic team. Where do you fall on that discussion? If they win one, are they a dynasty? You know what? It's, it's, I will put them in that category as a dynasty. <clears throat> you know, if you, if you, because they was riddled with injuries right? two years, Clay was out and Steph went out. You know, you, you say, okay, we'll give them a we'll give them a Phil Jackson asterisk by those two years. But if they were to get back to the mountaintop and win this year, I would put them, you know, you got one more step to be a dynasty. And then if they go to the finals again, then I would give them a dynasty. But, you know, think about this. They gave us a dynasty in the Lakers. We won three in a row. And next thing you know, they dismantled a team. They go back and lose. It's considered a dynasty. So, you know, if you, to me, there's only been, you know, three dynasties in this Bulls, the Celtics and the Lakers, because, they're a situation where they went six plus championships. You know, I, I, that's what you look at. But in this day, in this era, you can give them a dynasty. I think I think you I, I, I would I would consider the Spurs, the Tim Duncan, Greg Popovich Spurs in that mix. But they never won back to back titles. And so it depends on how you want to qualify it. Sustained yeah. success. Not always enough. I, I think if you're a Boston fan, you're going, why can't we have that sustained run? We've got these two young superstars, Marcus Smart. Defensive player of the year who's coming into his own a little bit defensively. It seems like they've unlocked some things with him as their pure point guard in initiating offense because he doesn't have to create for everyone. They've got Tatum and Brown who can create for themselves. I mean, this, what what do you think the chances are that they could be not the next dynasty, but the next team that you have to deal with in the Eastern Conference? Like, okay, they're going to be there every year until further notice. You know, I, I think you look down a line and you says, okay, Tatum. First team, Max, Brown, Max, Smart, Max. These are super max contracts these guys potentially can get. So now we're, you know, if you, since I cover the Lakers, the Lakers got $40 million guys, three forty million guys. They can't get nobody else on the team unless they do some hell of a drafting, you know, and and they get those guys that's going to be there. But it boils down to payday, man. If you're going to stick around and get paid, or you're going to have that one falter and say, oh, you know, we didn't win a championship. We need to make a move because, you know, they exported us in this area. We need to get someone in. And they trade one of those guys. You know, people do dumb things like that. Well, GMs, I should say. So I think they have the potential to make a long run. This is going to have to stick together, 
and do what a Tim Duncan would do and say, you know, what, I'm going to take less money. So you can sign a Tony Parker, you sign a Manu Ginobili. But are these guys now, you know, selfless enough where they say, hey, you know what? I don't want to make 40 million. I make 30 million. You know, I, I don't think so. I think every now, every guy now is trying to get their bag so they can say, you know what? At one point in my career, I was making 50, 40 million, whatever it may be. So I don't, that's going to be the key though. It boils down to money if they can keep that team together. All right, not a finals question, but I can't talk to Big Shot Bob and not ask you this question. Which of your big shots is your favorite? You know, um, I grew up a Lakers fan, a huge Magic Johnson fan. And one of my biggest thrills before I even made to the NBA, I got to play one-on-one with Magic when I was being scouted by the Lakers coming out of college, coming out of University of Alabama. So the shot I made against the Sacramento Kings in 2001 to win that game, it's probably my favorite. And uh, don't get me wrong. I love what I did in Houston. I love what I did in San Antonio. But everything I did in, in San Antonio was on the road, game five on the road. But this was at home in Staples Center. And the ego comes into play where you want to hear that crowd chant your name, man. And you run off the court and the crowd still chanting your name. You're in the locker room. You can still hear them chanting your name. So I think that shot, it, it it, it takes over all the other shots just for the ego. You know, we are all as athletes got some type of ego. And I think for me, that just takes over because I had the Laker fans chanting my name. They weren't chanting Shaq. They weren't chanting Kobe. They were chanting Ori. So that's a big plus, plus for me.